The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing conversations from our community about what they experience when trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories, along with our own insights from the work we are doing. Plus, we'll be talking to the organisations making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space. I had mumps when I was uh, 22 in 2005. The damage that I did to my, to my testicles, unfortunately, was irreversible and it meant that I stopped producing sperm, which is obviously all unbeknownst to me at the time. So, Was the 22-year-old sure. you, was that fertility conversation ever raised? Never, no, and it's something that in the future I would like to start trying to raise education yeah. about really because the, the medical practitioners that I saw that I had I was very ill with the mumps bedridden for the best part of two weeks and then funnily enough as the swelling moved south to my to my testicles and that was actually when I started to feel better and I was a little bit more mobile but I was having blood tests etc and I had a lot of contact and obviously I was on antibiotics but no one at any point or outside of the box really they were just treating the symptoms in which I was there for. Welcome to our second episode of The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. and one of three co-founders here. And if you didn't listen to our first episode, that's okay, but we'd love you to. You don't need to listen to this podcast in chronological order, but what we hope is that you'll want to have a good delve around because there's lots of fascinating conversations. Now, I'm really chuffed to once again be joined by my two other co-founders, Becky Cairns. Hello. And Claire Ingle. Hello. And and the pair are going to be joining me as much as possible on this podcast to give their thoughts on what our guests are sharing with us and also to answer any questions that you might have about implementing fertility support into your wellbeing strategy as that is ultimately what we're here to do along with normalizing or usualizing the conversation which is a brilliant phrase that one of our community shared with us and as you continue on this listening journey with us you're going to be hearing lots of different conversations because what our aim is ultimately is to make a world where fertility issues are recognized in all workplaces like we've seen happen with the mental health conversation and more recently with the menopause conversation and at the time of launching this podcast which is November 2022 we've actually been in operation like officially for a year ladies, yes. haven't we yes this is a celebration of our one-year trading I mean we formed just to give you a bit of background just before lockdown we officially like registered in like May of that year but before lockdown happened the three of us got together in a pub in the Peak District which I'm not going to tell you the name of because it always causes a lot of <laughs> hilarity and I can never remember it <laughs> But we sat, didn't we, with a pile of post-its and we filled a table with yeah. what our plan was yeah. um, in, in the training and the, the tools that we wanted to create for the workplace, didn't we? Yeah. How great businesses are born, Nat. Yes. Well, often they're bought back of a napkin. So we did well to, we, to write yeah, on lots we, of post-its. It's only because you brought post-its along, otherwise it would have been on the back of a napkin. <laughs> but I think also to say that we just had this vision to create change, didn't we really? And that's yeah. why we created a community interest company, a social enterprise, because one of our main aims is for social impact and to have that change so that people going through this in the future don't have to live in a world where there's no policy, there's no conversation about it, they're having to go off sick just to hide the fact that they're going through treatment. And so, yeah, I, I just think it's something we're so proud of and mm. I couldn't I'm think passionate. of two better I'm women passionate. to do it with. Yeah. Oh, getting all emotion. 
To give you an idea, though, of what it's like behind the scenes of Fertility Matters, we're talking to you on a Monday. This weekend, we, we've tried <laughs> recently to have a pact where we don't WhatsApp each other over the weekend mm. because we're all possibly verging on divorce with our partners because <laughs> they don't yeah. see us. <laughs> but the WhatsApp has been hot yeah, this weekend because we're speaking to you at the start of National Fertility Awareness Week, if you are listening in real time. So we've recorded this like just ahead of that week. And it's a really busy time for us. But we're really excited about what's going on with this conversation. And, and I think you'll get a sense of that passion if you carry on listening to us but we're not going to be waffling too much about how much we love what we do what we're always really really keen to do is to demonstrate to you how diverse this conversation is and the f word at work series that's been running on zoom we've been doing it for about six months has had lots of different voices talking about cultural issues about the lgbtq plus route to parenthood being childless not by choice because it's not a given that just because someone comes to you saying that they're going to have fertility treatment that they are going to take home a baby. We're also going to be talking about the male fertility experience, which is what we're going to be doing today. We'll be hearing from Sean Greenaway, who will be talking about the cis male perspective of male fertility issues within a toxic male environment. He worked for the police, which you'll hear. And he's also going to talk about the mental health challenges of having to use a sperm donor and also go through what he went through. Now, personally, my experiences of, of male factor and it's brought all sorts of challenges within my relationship and I've really seen it firsthand of the impact it's had on my other half and I've put a real emphasis in the work I've done with my fertility podcast to encourage men to talk and whenever I've done that over the years men have always gone oh thank you thank you and and it's been really helpful and and Claire I know you know you've got personal experience too and we've talked yeah. about it. it's it's not been the easiest encouraging the guys to talk about it has it no, I think um, it's even more shrouded in secrecy as as Sean will go on to speak about. But yeah, it's it's. I think it's just a lot tougher for men, and and that is because of society. That isn't for any other reason other than how we're brought up in this mm. um, world. I think. Yeah, I think I'd also add that for those, even those who haven't had the infertility diagnosis, and my diagnosis with was with me, my husband. There were no issues with him, but he very much still went on that journey with me. And yeah. if you're in a couple, that is the case. And, uh, and that's the other thing I think to be thinking about in this conversation, that where there are two people going down a path to parenthood using fertility treatment or um, needing to adopt, there are two people that are having to go through this emotional strain and also will want to go to the appointments together and will want to be a part of it. So I think to exclude the male voice in particular is excluding a huge number of people who are going through this. And also you're going to be hearing about a, a gay man's route to parenthood in a later episode of this podcast. And there's almost a presumption within gay men that infertility isn't an issue. It's not something that they've necessarily road tested, but it can be quite a shock when they are pursuing like the surrogacy route or co-parenting or however it looks and having to go through various tests and then being presented with issues. So we're always really keen to highlight kind of lifestyle changes and, and just like health factors that men need to be aware of when we have this conversation. But we've all worked with Sean, who's our guest today for some time, haven't we? And we've we've watched his confidence grow in the work he's doing and the support platform he's got, Knackered Knackers, which we'll put a link to in the show notes. We've just seen it grow from strength to strength, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. I, I must say that Knackered Knackers is one of the most brilliant yes. names for describing <laughs> what he's been through and what he's created. And, and in particular, with my work in the donor conception space, with that being my path to parenthood, 
I have worked with Sean a number of times and I'm always blown away by his honesty and how he shares his story and how difficult it must have been for him and how he just is able to, as a man, verbalise his emotions and and everything that he was going through and all whilst, whilst working in the police force, which... Again, like you wouldn't imagine that to be a place where you can be vulnerable. Now, before we get into this episode, we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series, Apricity, which is next generation fertility. And Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now, to explain that, the technology Apricity use is through their virtual model. So they have virtual consultations and specifically their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey. So they never miss an injection. They have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Apricity offers family building benefits to employers, health plans and individual patients And this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology and unlimited support. Now, the Apricity Fertility Benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company for either flexi benefit, cash allowance or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.life. You're now going to hear from Sean. And just to explain, we're repurposing the F-word conversations that we were originally hosting on Zoom. So the quality isn't quite what you'll get from a normal podcast interview, but still a fascinating listen nonetheless. My journey kind of falls into two parts, which is the known and the unknown. Start from the known. That started in 2017 when my wife and I started trying to conceive and like many people in this sphere know it's um suddenly those weeks and months drag on and and it's not gone as smoothly as you're led to believe it should and how perhaps friends are finding it so we went to the doctors and um it was quite uh, quite early on for me it was established that i had um no sperm um the reason being and that then kind of goes back to the unknown bit is I had mumps when I was uh, 22 in 2005 so um, the damage that did to my to my testicles unfortunately was irreversible and it meant that I stopped producing sperm which is obviously all unbeknownst to me at the time so was the 22 year old you was that fertility conversation ever raised never no and it's something that in the future I would like to start trying to raise education yeah. about really because the, the medical practitioners that I saw that I had I was very ill with the mumps bedridden for the best part of two weeks and then funnily enough as the swelling moved south to my to my testicles and that was actually when I started to feel better and I was a little bit more mobile but I was having blood tests etc and I had a lot of contact and obviously I was on antibiotics but no one at any point thought outside of the box really they were just treating the symptoms in which I was there for obviously getting me better which was from a really horrible illness there was never anyone at any point professionally anyway that said oh do you know you, you should probably bear this or that in mind and maybe get a test because it can have implications whereas that came actually from more off the cuff and almost quips from from other chaps um when i was showing photos of how big my balls went they were like oh well you know that can make you, you, you sterile and, and just little comments like that and it was kind of this is i'm talking 2005 so it was smartphones weren't about um certainly 
I, I don't I can't remember if I had a home computer at the time, but Google was probably in its infancy from memory. Um, so it was kind of hard to do that research. But from what I did find that it can the link between mumps and infertility is rare and, and the numbers are small. So being 22, I just dismissed it. Okay, that's fine. I don't need to know about that now. Where's my next beer coming from? I, I had a, a lad's holiday with my mates coming up in Magaluf, and that's what my focus was on actually, because I didn't know for a little while it was touch and go where I was going to make it through the illness. Um, so that that's the problem, you know. It's not just you know the medical side of it, but it's me as a twenty-two-year-old. I wasn't thinking about those things, and, yeah. and but then fast forward. To when I start trying with my wife some uh, 12 years later, it was at the forefront of my mind. So when it didn't happen uh, as soon as we would have liked, it was the first thing I said to the doctor. And thankfully, those concerns were taken seriously by him. So in terms of you gone and had these conversations and tests were basically performed and the conclusion was drawn quite quickly that you were dealing with azoospermia, which is the, the terminology for not having any sperm as a result of what you'd said. So at this time you're 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 in work and you then is it explained to you the extent of what's going to happen next like early on or did it kind of come later because you you had to have surgery didn't you I did yeah so I went to the first went to the doctors to kind of timeline it a little bit at the end of 2017 and um my first sperm tests were at the beginning of 18 uh, and then had a second one um 3 months later so again so I remember that one where it was March 18 um, and because it was the second one that confirmed really the first result, the first one they didn't want to pin too much on because like, there could be various factors about sperm counts in one analysis and let's go off of two to be sure type thing. Um, I didn't have the surgeries until March 2019. And it was at that point that I, I felt that I had no choice but to um, to tell my employers because so, so to bear that in mind, I went for it. So looking at, I'd say 16, 17 month period where I kept it a secret from work and, and all appointments or needs or every time I need to get off early or come in late or have a whole day, I was either taking leave or was um, just saying I had other appointments, dentists, et cetera. So it was quite a long time. Look, had you had a look to see if there was anything fertility related written anywhere had you tried to seek any support at work no I didn't my head was in a kind of a washing machine at the time I, I'd like to explain it it's just it was kind of like kind of when, when I found out I was being diagnosed as infertile having no sperm and just dealing with a lot in that respect and I think I just took a bit of a tunnel vision approach and kind of shut off a lot around me and I must admit I didn't particularly seek much support I just went inward and my sole support really was from my wife um, who was obviously very much in the journey with me and and in terms of that I didn't see what my work could offer. The impact then on your work how significant would you describe that as being? It was very significant because my mind was solely focused really on on what was going on outside of work but then I completely tried to mask it really and, and carry on with work as normal but as anyone who's been through it will know that it's all consuming that because there's I'm, I'm sat there kind of I might have the, the day that I got the phone call to say that I was infertile I was at work I took the phone call outside and my head after that I was 
like I said, a bit like a washing machine or tumble dryer. I was just spinning. And of course, I didn't concentrate for the rest of that day when I'm having to then phone my wife to break the news as well. And that, that was throughout, really, because there's always another appointment you're, you're working towards or another result that you receive in, in which you're then dealing with the outcome and the fallout of that, more disappointment. And it's, it's not simple. And, and unfortunately for me, it did affect my performance at work. So you have to have a conversation because the surgery that you have is obviously invasive. I mean, we're talking about having to collect the precious sperm in order to have fertility treatment um and i've seen pictures of you bandaged up so how did you approach that conversation so it got to the point where as we moved into 2019 when the urologist kind of was directing me down the line of uh, two different operations but the first one was less invasive um an outpatient appointment with a, a few days recovery and then if that wasn't work you would then look at a more invasive the micro tz which is having testicles cut open and directly searching for sperm and it just got to the point where i knew then that i could no longer just mask my absences with leave or dent i mean how many dentist appointments can you have <laughs> Do you know you've gotten that good sean what's going no. on <laughs> yeah, so i had to just be upfront. now i think i'd alluded to the fact that some of the appointments were about like my wife and i trying to conceive but i hadn't really nailed my colours to the mast and said that we were having trouble. I'm a police officer and I'm a detective and the, the role I was in at the time was quite an alpha environment. Almost everyone on my team was, was were blokes and including my line managers, my, my detective sergeant, detective inspector. And it was a work hard, drink hard, take the piss hard environment. And that's part of the reason why I did shut down and, and keep it to myself because I thought, well, this is just going to be cannon fodder for them. And yeah, it got to the point where I just couldn't carry that anymore. And, and because I was going to need time off for recovery. So I put in an email to my two line managers and I just put it out there. I just said, you've probably guessed it, but my wife and I are having trouble conceiving. What you don't know is that it's coming from my side. And in the immediate future, I'm going to need a couple of operations or one at first and then potentially a second. So I'm going to need a bit of time off. It will be certified, but here's the reasons why. And um, I've got to say, all those kind of apprehensions I had about talking to them and, and they, it, it was all, as we always find, like, so we, we so often get in our own head. And that's the only place I was really, because it was all unfounded. They were so supportive you know, and, and professional. And, and that carried on. It wasn't like this was, it was professional during work hours and then mistaken in the pub it wasn't that at all they were really supportive and it was a huge weight off my shoulders after that what a relief because I think absolutely it's such a fear in so many ways but when you just describe the working environment that you know you were in such an unknown obviously once you've told them were you then more open with your colleagues um some it still wasn't something that it was a kind of open plan office it wasn't something I wanted to speak about openly i wanted to inform them because obviously they would be in charge of uh, uh, when I needed to, to not be there. And, and I knew they would cover for me as well, if you know what I mean, just say, oh, Sean's whatever, you know, got a medical appointment. But, but um, I did speak to a female colleague, one of the two on our team. And I, I didn't mention about that it was coming from my side, but I just mentioned that my wife and I were having fertility struggles and going to have to go down the IVF route, et cetera. And, um, and she said, well, Martin on our team did that with his wife. And I said, all right, okay. She was like, seriously don't you blokes talk well what do you blokes talk about i think there was a question and i think my response was beer football boobs yeah <laughs> just different. not that exactly and and then suddenly I, I spoke to him on on in the quiet so to speak and like just when it was the two of us and, and yeah he was very supportive and 
is actually his recommendation that led to us choosing our fertility clinic. And, and therein lies the problem with men as a whole, really. I, no matter what it is, we don't talk. But when it comes to male factor infertility, that is just it's not at all. And that's why I'm here, essentially. We're going to talk a bit more about the support. I just want to just explain a bit more about then, ultimately, how you brought your babies home. Do you want to tell us what happened next? Sure. So so I had the... The first operation, the varicocele embolization, um, the, the minor one, that was unfortunately unsuccessful. And then, so I had to have the more invasive uh, microtesi. And then you know, it took me the best part of a month to recover from. And then they were both, that was also unsuccessful. So we elected to proceed our journey by the use of donor sperm, which is a decision that we, my wife and I had already come to before the microtesi operation, because by that point, we, we knew we would find out immediately after the operation, because it was going to be a simple yes or no, there's, there's something in there that we can work with or it's not. But by that point, I'd, I'd very much come to terms with what I was going through. I'd reached a point of acceptance. Um, and, and, you know, when I say it like that, it sounds so quick, but it's not. It's something that took a lot of time, a lot of work. There was nothing found. Um, and then so we pr- proceeded with the donor sperm. And in February 21, uh, we were absolutely blessed with our twins, Ray and Evan. Um, they, um, like you touched upon earlier, we were very fortunate in that it happened on on the first transfer for us as well and yes um life is has been very different but amazing since now when we did our podcast chat which was quite a long time ago now i think i'm right in saying that you were about to then go and hold your first support group that you decided to do you were going to go to a pub because you'd set up your instagram account which as we mentioned is called knackered knackers which i think we all agree at fertility matters is one of our favorite our favourite uh, Insta handles, and you were about to go, and you were like, I've got no idea if anyone's going to turn up. But they did turn up, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier, blokes just don't talk about this stuff. Um, and I set up my account also, just not really knowing how it would ever be received and would it help anyone, would it reach anyone. But fortunately, it did. And what I also noticed was that the most of my audience were were women, the wives, partners, girlfriends of, of these blokes who are suffering. Um, so, I wanted to try and reach out and speak speak to more men do I just set a date and time any any men that want to come just talk about this you can turn up anonymously we don't have to talk about yourself if you don't want to sit there and stay quiet but I'll be in Hyde Park at this time on this date yeah it was it was really amazing I think on the first time there were six or seven chaps and then I did a second one soon after roughly the same amount and it's been really good and and everyone that was there we've uh, every time anyone else comes if they want to they can join the whatsapp group that I set up and so that and that group is is really amazing because it's so supportive when when anyone asks a question or just wants to vent everyone else chips in and just gives it any advice they can because what i've always said is i'm no expert in this i'm just someone who's been through it and and i'm just trying to be what i wanted and that's that voice that man who who has been through it just to let no to let people know they're not alone but there are all sorts of different types of, of infertility um, and, and sometimes questions are asked that I just have no idea about. I know my case, if you know what I mean, and, and that's where someone else steps in and that's um, what is, is working really well. So I've tried to then take that to a, a website which I started, um, which is the same name, knackerknackers.co.uk, because I wanted to take that nice organic feel and, and everyone helping each other on to a wider audience rather than just those who have been to... Um, the support groups in person so yeah and, and that's that's working as well and in, in that men are there supporting each other everyone's got slightly different experiences everyone's got different circumstances and and 
together we can all help each other. So what would you say in terms of what you've learned from the different conversations you've now had with these men when it comes to offering advice to organisations looking to better support men with this issue of infertility? Because we at Fertility Matters try to highlight from the start that what people don't realise is that it can be 50-50, male-female factor. A lot of the kind of onus is put on the female and both myself and Claire, so two-thirds of Fertility Matters had experience of male factor. And we're really keen to put that voice forward amongst all the different scenarios that we try to share. What would you say to organisations? That's a really important point in that it is 50-50 because I saw on one of your, I think it was on Instagram on your account, that a, a girl who was saying that she was hiding her um, syringes, etc. Yeah, exactly, in the fridge at work. And it just reminded me so well of, of what my wife had to do. And and because we can do that as, as men sometimes, even if it's a male factor, you can almost relinquish responsibility in some way and, and put it onto the woman a bit more. And it has to stop, really, We because we, we are there. We're just as much part of it, even if, like, after my operations, for example, when it did move to more wife having to do injections, I was trying to be as supportive as possible. And, and by that point, I was saying, have you told your work? And she had, and they were being really good as well. But, and that's what I found with talking to these other blokes is that much like me, they were very tunnel visioned and tr- weren't really telling anyone, which is, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process. But my advice is always to talk and talk early and, and talk to those people who can really make an impact on, on your journey because it is it's stressful, especially when you're keeping it in. And for me, when I did tell my work and, and they were so supportive and I was made to feel from the outset that any time I needed I was not a problem that took such a weight off my shoulders and then as a ver- uh, as a result direct result just makes me feel a lot less stressed and it's that is such an important factor in when, when you're trying to conceive is, is trying to really cut down on any stress point really and so that's why I'm from my own experience really do push to, to other blokes is talk and, and let there's people who can have an impact on, on this and, and make it easier for you to talk to them. And in terms of the work environment, am I right in that you've stepped up now to put yourself forward as a kind of advocate if people want to come and talk or it's something that you're thinking about doing? Uh, yeah, I, before I went live on my my own Instagram account, actually, I it was part of all, I guess it's all part of the, the stepping stones I needed to go live and put my face out there to the public. But I um, became a wellbeing champion at work, specifically around male factor infertility. Um, and I haven't ever actually had anyone come forward for a work sphere, but um, whether they've kind of found me online and contacted me for other means and wanted to stay anonymous from that work side, then I'd like, I like to hope that might be the case because when you look at the stats of how many people, is it one in roughly one in seven in the UK couples go through this and then half of that being the men, then statistically there will be people in my work, men. It's one in six couples, one in seven individuals. So Mm. it's a lot of us. But it's interesting you said no one's come forward. So do you think going back, if there'd have been a you in place when you were going through it, knowing what your head was like when you described that washing machine image, which is, you know, it's so emotive, would you have gone to you? Uh, I think it's, it's almost like a perfect storm. It needs the information to be out there that that resource is available because I didn't go looking for it because I was in that the washing machine and also very tunnel visioned into 
like I went inward as I said it went into my own head so I think it needs to be out there that that support is there which is really important because rather than people seeking out and because again it comes down to things like I wouldn't follow infertility accounts on my social media because I wouldn't want to be wouldn't want people to see what I'm following and and likewise if I'm sat there on my desktop at work I wouldn't want to search it on, on my work terminal because I wouldn't want people seeing what I'm searching because I'm still if I'm still keeping it quiet so it's it's almost like um subtle hints that that is there had I had that and known it was there I think I probably would have to be honest especially if I knew that there was another man go for it because I was I was searching for that and I just couldn't find it and in some of the conversations that I've had and I know from like personal experience with with my other half there's such shame and guilt associated with this from the male point of view obviously I can't I'm talking about it secondhand would that describe some of the feelings that you felt absolutely yeah and I think that's all a sad indictment of our society really we get tied up in in what we're told men should be or and and you know I'm not saying it's any harder to be infertile as a man than it is a woman because I know it's it's awful across the board but then when as a man you're dealing with all that, that almost toxic masculinity of like just being strong and and not talking about your feelings, you know, and if you do and you open up and maybe shed a tear, then you're seen as weak. And that's just so wrong. And it's, it's been proven to be wrong. And that's why that this conversation across the board for men is growing, whether it comes down to mental health or anything, any problem, everyone, I think, is slowly getting out there that, as I say, a problem shared is problem halved. Mm. And I can vouch for that fully because my wife was encouraging me to talk often. And, and I think she soon learned to, to kind of back off a little bit. I wasn't ready, but... I got there myself in the end. And, and when I did start talking, it was every step along the way, whether it was with someone else or my work, and then obviously ultimately putting it out to whoever can find it online. It, every time it was one more step of um, just a, a release really and, yeah. and, and, and talking about it to anyone really. I, I'm so open about it now, but every time it just feels good. And especially to know that it could be helping someone else. That's, that's an extra, but for anyone, I'd say just if you can talk to anyone, anyone, if it's anonymously or to whatever support network is out there for you. And we've had a comment here saying you're amazing, Sean, have really helped to open up the conversation from the male perspective. Um, Thank you. And I think like you say, that importance of just believing that the talking can help, because I think sometimes we can be so caught up that we can tell ourselves that the talking isn't going to help. Um and I just want to mention something that I saw on your Insta the other day. You were talking about affirmations and how you'd use them through your experience of, of infertility. And it made me chuckle at the end where you kind of said, for those of you kind of cynics, how's that going? And and I just wondered whether that was quite a, a move forward from you in the kind of things you're sharing, because that in itself can be, I mean, I'm all into that world and, and don't shy away from it. But I, I imagine if we're talking about a kind of masculinity point of view, you know, is there that conflict there? And are you now in a place where you're like, I'm just going to say whatever I want because I've been yeah. through this and this has helped. And for, you know, the cynics, like, it, it really felt like it was a finger up type post. Yes, I, I, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head because even though I have friends who know what I went through, they just see it as maybe a compartmentalised thing that we, we struggled. Uh, I, I'm infertile, they know that. We've got the kids. Maybe they think that was it. I was then getting like the mickey taken out of me on WhatsApp groups and stuff. They were going, oh, he's a hippie now. He's into all this, that and the other. And just sending like little memes of hippies or whatever. And that is what you, you battle as a, as a man. Because I feel that, and, and I've, I've said this many times, I'm grateful for what's happened to me because it's made me a better person, which as a result will make me a better father for, for our twins. 
because it's opened me up to so much more positive thinking and, and just a more enlightened self, really. They've stopped now because they know that I'm so comfortable with who I am. And I think actually people feel threatened by that sometimes if, if you're really, you really are comfortable with who you are and, and moving towards a place of real self-love. I think that can actually be quite threatening to someone who isn't there and maybe has still has some insecurities. And so, yeah, and I wrote that post yesterday and that was a result of getting a text from a, a mate, a, a male friend. He was clearly giving himself a, a little caveat, a little outer on the message. So he said something along the lines of, oh, are you into affirmations? And, and what do you think of them? Are, are they any good or a load of shit, if you know what I mean? And, and so I, I knew what he was doing. So if I'd gone, no, I'm not into it or whatever, he would have gone, yeah, I wouldn't thought so. <laughs> oh yeah, a load of rubbish. I love it when people I just think outside the box a little bit and so I started messaging him back every loads of stuff and then sending voice notes and then I sent him my affirmations from when I like when I did them before uh, we had the babies and I told him how how it changed throughout because it was we Jenna and I will have children we 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 will bring children into our lives but then that had to change to we are bringing children into our lives when she became pregnant and, um, and then I said to him, actually, I'm going to write about this. So thanks for the, uh, the content. <laughs> and, um, and then his response was, oh, that's, that's excellent. Yeah, I've been kind of directed towards that myself and I found them quite, quite useful. So, yeah. You can say, I've just done a Zoom and they asked me about it too. But there we have it. There is the reluctance and the resistance that unfortunately we hear that so many men feel about this kind of stuff. And I think just trying and seeing and who knows when it comes to what can help our mental health because of the huge impact this has. And thank you so much, Sean, for being so open and honest and sharing it, not just with us here today, but in what you're doing with your website and your social media account. And hopefully if there's people maybe dealing with what Sean's just described where you work, then they'll know that there are other people that have walked that path and that get how they feel. Because that's what we're trying to do, isn't it, Sean? Just highlight to others that we, we get it, we've been there. And whilst it never goes away, it can improve. Absolutely. It's about making space for it in your life. It, it will always be something. It's trauma stays. It's there it's somewhere, but you just have to make space for it. And if you can use it and leverage it to thrive, really. So a lot there. I mean, he really is brilliant at just just being so open and honest, isn't he? And, and Clara, I know that you were quite taken with just how vulnerable he was and how, yeah. how honest his account was yeah I mean Sean talks so eloquently about his experience even though it's 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 a horrendous story really when you think about it and what he went through and and the ignorance of what he went through reflecting back you know it's it's a great thing looking back and thinking wow that's what happened and and I can pinpoint where this potentially came from um but you know he he talks about he talks very well like you said Becky earlier about his vulnerability um, but also he, he does mention the things that we hear so often about how many dentist appointments can you still have? Um, it's still shrouded in that secrecy. And because he's male, it makes it harder for him to then talk about it, especially in the workplace. And his experience overall was a positive one, as he says, because he finally disclosed to his male counterparts and he described that they were positive with him. But this can't be replicated across genders, across every organisation, across every industry, um, because some uh, there's a lot of people that still don't feel empowered or confident enough to have those conversations. And we know from experience and from research that men's mental health is 
less likely to be discussed than than women's mental health and it's very important that these conversations are afforded for men too yeah i think just picking up on what you said there claire i think we we often say that it it shouldn't be down to the look of the draw that somebody is supportive and you've got a good line manager that will be empathetic and will support you through this it should be something that is clearly recognized within the organization and it's the norm that if someone's going through this experience regardless of gender that they will be supported through it and they will be able to have an open conversation without judgment i think the other thing that we hope you'll you'll learn from these conversations is the male experience when there's been a pregnancy loss. We were hosting a panel just the other day and there was a a man sitting on the panel who talked about his experience of of pregnancy loss and it's still not really being spoken about enough by women experiencing it. And when we, we talk about the people involved, even if we're talking about a gay route to parenthood through surrogacy and there's pregnancy loss, that loss is so important to understand. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that as an organization, you know, we're here to help you understand. If We often have people talking to us about rights for, for time off, for bereavement and that, that grief when it's a loss that can't be seen. But it's even harder, isn't it, for, for men to feel they can ask for that time. Yeah. So just to add a very personal experience of this, um, my husband, when I went through the miscarriage after our first round of IVF. Um, I was about eight weeks when we we found out it was a missed miscarriage, so there was no heartbeat. And we were told to go away, then come back and have another scan. And then eventually, to cut a very long story short, it, it took three weeks before we were able to finally say that the miscarriage had happened and and I had to have surgery. And I remember my husband had said to his boss at the time, um, I need to go to this appointment with Becky and he was effectively told that he needed to consider what was most important because he'd already been out for so many appointments and for him the most important thing was being with me and he came to the appointment but it was only a few months later that he actually left that job and he left that manager and so it's just a very clear example of how someone is supported through this can can actually have an impact on whether they even stay in that job and and that's talent being lost that's years of input into somebody's development and and everything else and and yet a comment like that can have such an impact on someone and, and particularly a man as well we know that traditional gender roles play a huge part in why men are less likely to discuss something like this or seek help with any associated mental health problems and we all we all know that males should feel that they should look and behave in a certain way. Um, and I do think if you are a male and you are listening to this, then we have got signposts to um, mental health help. We will put links to mental health support in the show notes to the Samaritans and to Calm, their two um, mental health foundation. And along with those specific mental health ones, there are some amazing support groups. There's like a male only Facebook group talking about infertility issues. So, so we'll make sure we put those links in the show notes as well. As always, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got questions, maybe if you're wanting to have a male focused conversation in your workplace and you'd like our support, we can bring in speakers. We've got Sean as one of our speakers. Just get in touch with your questions. It's info at fertilitymattersatwork.com. Also, as always, do subscribe to the podcast. We'd love it if you can rate and review it too. Share it with your colleagues and we hope you join us next time. 
Do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's where we share the free events that we have as well as survey findings and lots of interesting conversations from our community. We're at Fert Matters Work on Twitter. Plus, we've got loads of free resources at fertilitymattersatwork.com. If from what we've shared with you, you feel ready to talk more about how your organisation can become fertility friendly, do book a call via the website link. It will be great to hear from you. 